Bonjour, I am Estelle, your host, and this is Wildlife Conservation Insights, the podcast dedicated to the connections between wildlife and human being. You want to know more about wildlife? About what's going on? Why some species are getting endangered? What are the challenges our world is facing? You want to meet people that dedicate their life to save animal species? Specialists that want to understand better the new challenges animals and humans are facing. You want to be proactive and also participate in species conservation? This podcast is for you. Welcome to Wildlife Conservation Insights. This is episode four. My guest today is Dr. Sharon Deem, a wildlife veterinarian and epidemiologist. She's board certified in the American College of Zoological Medicine with a professional focus on diseases shared between domestic animals, wildlife, and people, and the impact of environmental change and human interactions on the health of wildlife population. During her veterinary career, she has been fortunate to work as a clinician, epidemiologist, and wildlife field veterinarian. Sharon has conducted conservation medicine projects in 30 countries around the world. A few of her research projects include a health monitoring program for gorillas in Central Africa, health assessments of sea turtles in Africa and the Americas, health and ecological studies of main wolves in Bolivia, health care of working elephants in Asia, and avian and giant tortoise studies in the Galapagos Islands in Ecuador. Sharon is currently the director of the San Luis Zoo Institute for Conservation Medicine. Without further ado, it is my great pleasure to welcome my guest, Dr. Sharon Deem. All right. How are you, Sharon? Hi, Estelle. So good to hear from you. Yes, me too. I'm extremely excited. I wanted you as my guest for a very, very long time. So I'm very honored to have you as my guest today. Thank you so much for your time and being here with us today. You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> So uh, yeah, how how is it uh, today for you? I think it's it's early morning. Yeah, so you got me uh, out of bed, which is wonderful. <laughs> it's about seven o'clock here. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, in the U.S., and it's actually a beautiful day. Oh, Absolutely great! Beautiful day. I'm heading <laughs> I'm I'm heading out to a field site uh, after this call with you. So I'll be out in the field uh, in a sunny, beautiful July day in Missouri. Oh, you're super lucky. Well, for for me, it's not it's not as sunny. Unfortunately, it's July, but it's actually it started to rain. It's so it's warm but rainy day. Well, that's okay. <laughs> so, can you just um, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and uh, also how you got into this field, how you got into the position that you you have now? Sure, I'd love to. So I, by training, I'm a veterinarian. So I went to veterinary college a few decades ago. And the whole time I was in vet school, I was very interested in both International development, it was called then. So international development and food animal and 
how do we feed the planet uh, kind of questions, but I was also really interested in, in animal conservation. And if you think about what we're going to talk about today with One Health, both those things are, yes. are very, yeah, very relevant. So after vet school, I was in private practice for a few years, and, and I, I went on and did a PhD in veterinary epidemiology, and that was in Africa, so mainly in Zimbabwe, but Kenya and Zimbabwe, looking at a disease called heartwater, which is a tick-borne disease, and primarily of livestock, so food animal species, but it also impacts mm -hmm. a lot of wildlife species. And then I did a residency, which you are very familiar with at the University yes. of Florida. <laughs> and so looking at zoo and wildlife medicine, clinical issues and, and sort of caring for wildlife species. And through all those learning experiences, I've really been very fortunate to work for some of the best zoos in the world and both at zoos with collection animals, giving clinical care, but more so sort of with free living animals around the world, actually, uh, many different field sites, looking at applying sort of a veterinary skills, veterinary medicine, epidemiology to really important, well, I think they're important, really important uh, conservation efforts uh, for many species. So now, as I'm talking to you, and as you know, uh, having visited not that many yes. years ago, <laughs> uh, I'm the director of a department here at the St. Louis Zoo called the Institute for Conservation Medicine. And in that program, we, we just celebrated 10 years this year. Congratulations. Well, I know. Great. And yes. our 10-year report will be out soon for uh, those interested. It really is a, a program where everything we do all of our projects, and we have a number of them, I hope we talk mm -hmm. about, but they're always through the lens of One Health. So they're for wildlife conservation, but we always do it thinking about public health implications and environmental sustainability and health. So there's three arms of One Health where animal conservation is our, our bread and butter and what we're really focused on, but you can't mm -hmm. separate that from human public health and the environment that we're all dependent on. Yeah, it's all interconnected, right? Yeah, amen. All interconnected. Yes, yes. I love I love this word actually, interconnection. We all live in the same world. Yes. So yeah, I, I visited your your institution and it's beautiful. It's amazing, and you have numerous projects, on, ongoing numerous projects. It's incredible, and uh, I was really lucky to visit you, and I thank you for that. So can you just tell us uh, what is your daily job about? What your life look like? Uh, daily life look like basically. Yeah, that's a great question, and it's a it, it's almost an impossible one to answer because each I know <laughs> <laughs> that's why you asked it. Yes, of course. <laughs> so, so unlike sort of a clinical zoo vet, so somebody who really is dedicated to providing preventive care and therapeutic care and medicine and surgery for the animals and human care right? Those are, that might be an easier question to answer if I was a clinician. As a director of a program and a department that's really dedicated to these One Health projects, unfortunately, a lot of my day, some people might think this is 
unfortunate. A lot of my day is in front of a computer. It's writing proposals. It's analyzing data, writing up scientific manuscripts. Research really isn't research. It's just a hobby unless you publish it. So a lot of my time is in front of a computer doing that. But I'd say, you know, in an average year, four months of my time is at a field site. So often traveling to one of our, our field programs around the world, you're uh, immersed for weeks on end. Because of COVID, uh, which I hope we talk about. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because of COVID, the last year and a half, my team and I really have become much more Missouri wildlife based. So mm -hmm. a lot of our projects are that. So I may be in the field for a few hours uh, collecting information, doing both sort of field biology and field veterinary skills are necessary. And I'm out in the, the woods working on these projects. So each day is a little different. And then lastly, I just say for a few months each year, I teach a course in One Health. So it's a semester long course. And on those days, I, you know, I'm teaching with my students, but there's also a lot of those kind of teacher roles where you're preparing your courses and you're reviewing the, the things submitted by students. So that, that each fall, I'm, I'm very involved in that as well. That's very important because all your knowledge need to be passed along, right? You need to transmit your knowledge to, to new generation. They need to know to be, I would say, more knowledgeable about what's going on right now, but also to know a little bit more about the history of how all these things happen and, and why. Exactly. And, and there are, again, around the world, there are increasingly more opportunities for young folks, for young people to take courses in conservation medicine and One Health and really get a solid understanding of this interconnection from high school and, and college onward. So I'd recommend people look up those opportunities in their own countries and, and see what kind of programs are available. Yeah, that's. I, I am actually gathering these on my website, so people can go there. It's uh, um, slvet.com. Uh, they will hear about this podcast, but also I will also put some links that can be helpful, uh, at least to start with something. Yes, that's great. Can we just very quickly go back to the publication point? Because for young people, it's always very confusing. You know, they they want to be involved with wildlife, but they don't always realize that actually your work on field is sometimes limited. And part of your, I would say, a major point of your work is actually to publish and to so to collect data, but also to analyze them and then to publish them and the importance of publication. Because if you don't publish, nothing is getting out there. And so you, you just keep for yourself the knowledge, right? So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And, and there are so many different positions of people that are dedicated, right, to doing conservation action, conservation education, conservation research. And all of those are important, right? Mm -hmm. When it comes to the actual research, just like you just said, I mean, really doing the research 
and performing your study and collecting those data are so important to advance our understanding, let's say of a, of, of a disease or a, a species in, in critical conservation uh, concern, an endangered species. If you spend that time collecting the data, understanding this problem and you say, oh, wow, I just figured this out, but you don't share it, then, you know, 20 years from now, the animal will still be endangered and your data was never shared. So somebody else comes along and says, oh, I'm going to try to figure out this question. So a big part of that research puzzle is to provide those data. And that's why the scientific literature is very important for, for sort of that the building blocks of understanding a conservation challenge or a public health challenge. And then others take that and, and it helps direct either further research or management decisions. But I would like to just add, so that is incredibly important, but not everybody wants to, to scientifically publish, right? Mm -hmm. And there are so many positions for those people as well to do, to actually be the field biologist that is helping move that along, but you're not the one publishing. Mm -hmm. or, or the outreach person, the education outreach person that is sharing the information in a different platform. So not just the scientific refereed publication, but, but sharing that work and the understanding from kindergarten through the public. And, and that is just as important, I would say. Mm, yes, absolutely. Totally. So from there, I would like to go a little bit more in depth now. And and I would like to know a little bit more about maybe some of your specific action that participate in species conservation. Can you tell us about that? And so first, before I would say before talking about that, can you tell us what is One Health? Because we are going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So One Health has a few definitions right now. And I think at its simplest definition is it's a, a growing movement. It's an initiative where many different disciplines come together to optimize the health of human and non-human animals, plants, and the environments that sustain us. So it's this, it's sort of, if, if a young person is listening right now, you're probably thinking, well, that's a no-brainer, right? <laughs> like we are all connected from the environment that sustains us, the animals, the plants, the humans are connected from a health perspective, right? So our health is dependent on animal health. The things happening today environmentally, such as climate change or pollutants, they have an impact on plants, animals, and humans. So now we have this growing understanding of how interconnected and interdependent the health of all life is. And we have to bring together disciplines from veterinary science and human medicine and sociology and mm. economics and politics Absolutely. and all these disciplines to kind of face the challenges, these, these health challenges we're faced with today to come up with the solutions. And so One Health, in my mind, is all about finding solutions to today's challenges. 
Yeah, that's really clear. Thank you so much. That's I love it. I really love it. <laughs> and every time you, you talk about that, it gives me, I don't know, so much enthusiasm because it's so true. We are all we all live in the same world. We are all interconnected. But the beauty of it is that we can it, it actually gives a lot of hope because you can actually help participate to conservation of a species and this is going to improve human health and this is going to improve then for that you will have to also think about the ecosystem and the environment the animal lives in so it's all about it's a global view it's a giant puzzle where you find actually all the different pieces of the puzzle to put them together exactly yeah, I really, I really yeah. like that. And so now can you tell us about some of your actions that your or project that you're working on or that you would like to share with us to illustrate a little bit more the One Health concept? I would love to. And with this question, there's there's a number of projects that kind of popped up in my neurons. But the one I think really will help people to understand and conceptualize this is actually one being led by our PhD student, who's also, she's a Spanish veterinarian. Mm -hmm. Her name is Anoa Nieto Claudine. She's based in the Galapagos Islands in Ecuador. And for her PhD, which she's finishing up right now, she's looking at the giant Galapagos tortoises and some of the, the health challenges they face. And the big one that she has focused on in this PhD is antibiotic resistance. Mm. So many people are probably familiar with this growing concern, but in human health, particularly where antibiotics we reach for just don't work anymore because bacteria have developed resistance because we've overused antibiotics. And that's an increasingly important problem for human health and, and high mortality or death in humans because no longer if they get an infection, will these antibiotics work? Well, we also know that these antibiotic resistant bacteria are present in a lot of wildlife species. So ANOA's project, which is part of our Galapagos tortoise uh, ecology program we have, was looking at there in the middle of the Galapagos Islands, a small archipelago in the Pacific, we were looking at the presence of these this resistance within these giant tortoises that are free living in the islands. And we have found a significant presence of this resistance and and it's more present in the areas of the islands where humans live, where there's agriculture, where antibiotics are being used in livestock, domestic animal and humans. And that spillover is occurring into the, the tortoise population. So a puzzle was solved, right? The first piece is, this yes. is a problem. This is uh, actually, some of the listeners may have seen this recently in the news. It's gotten a lot of sort of media attention. So you find this and then you can work with the Ministry of Agriculture with, with sort of, should we be using these antibiotics? Should we change the way we're doing it? And what mm -hmm. is the potential impact for wildlife? 
but also for human health. And then it's an indicator or a sentinel of sort of that environmental contamination that may be occurring from the overuse of these antibiotics. So that's one example of a, a project that we are involved in we're solving an interesting sort of health challenge, and then we're, we're providing those data to help make recommendations for better management that will help the environment, tortoises and other animals and humans. Yes. And it's also you actually highlighted as well the importance of the animal as a sentinel of the ecosystem and the environment. Yeah, that's very important. And uh, why is it very important? Because... We have to realize that what is actually happening to the animals, either terrestrial or aquatic animals, for example, ocean pollution is actually happening to us. We are also part of the the same world and the, yes, and we also eat the same fish. So, yes. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the COVID pandemic? Because it's also, I think it would be also one great example of the One Health concept. Sure. So here we are. It's uh, July 2nd, 2021, right? And yes. I have a feeling anyone listening to this podcast uh, <laughs> in the coming years will remember the COVID years. And, you know, so we have this zoonotic pathogen, we have this coronavirus, and in the last couple decades, this is the third emergence of a a novel coronavirus into the human population. And these viruses, right, when we have these spillover events from our shared world with non-human animals, if we have these places where transmission of viruses can occur, then we're going to see increasingly this spillover of a virus that in this case, happily, probably for millennium, has been in bat species, not causing any clinical harm. Just it is part of the the microbiome of that species, the virome. But then it can spill over into new host, which is what happens so often with these emerging pathogens and humans. And how does that happen? Well, if you look at our our interactions, in this case, our increased use of wildlife species as a food source, Mm. right? That is where we see the ability for these viruses that may cause no harm in one species entering a new host and being very pathogenic or being virulent and being able to cause real harm, morbidity and mortality, and then also have changed and modified enough that it's really what we call transmissible, right? So now human to human transmission can happen. And in a global world like ours, we see that with this highly virulent, highly transmissible virus, it can then move like wildfire around the world and and create the pandemic we're living in today. And quite fast, actually. Something that I remember, you know, a few months before I actually visited Japan. And then here you go, I am back to France and I hear about this viruses spreading in China. And most of people around me were like thinking, well, it's China, right? China is quite far from Europe. Well, guess what? No. (laughs) 
So that's uh, that's actually a very important lesson from Mother Nature. I think we, we really have to realize that once again, we are all interconnected. And um, and as you you said, you explain really, really well. There are some pathogens that are actually cause no harm to some species. But when they jump to another species, it's another story. And we have to be aware and and more careful about that. And yeah, for that, we, we have to protect, actually, the animal species and the environment. Right. And when we, you know, one of the things that is getting increasingly attention is viral discovery, right? So we're, yes. we're looking for these potential, what we call zoonotic pathogens, or, or these pathogens that are shared between animals and humans. And they estimate, we estimate, 850,000 of these viruses are out there in various species that have zoonotic potential. Potential, yeah. Mm. But but for me, it's not just looking for these viruses, it's understanding that chain of spillover. And that's where One Health really has to increasingly dedicate our abilities to look at those what we call critical control points where spillover mm-hmm. may occur. So we need to culturally and sociologically and economically understand how we can minimize these ability, these events that allow for the spillover. We know the viruses are in these animals. We should reevaluate things such as wet markets, things where we bring together all different types of species in different uh, hygienic conditions, different stress conditions, alive mm-hmm. and dead, which makes a virus very happy, right? Yes. And then, so we have to really reevaluate how we can safely feed 7.8 billion humans without allowing for the next COVID-23 to happen or the next zoonotic event. And that's really going to be the change in our relationship with with nature and with with other animals. Yes, and and at an individual level, so we as individuals have to rethink about all of that. And then, of course, it's not just us, but it's also us as humans. So it's it's both at an individual and at, as a collective le- and at a collective level. So it's uh, it's actually a, I would say something that I would say for most people it's a new concept, but for also for us as veterinarians, it's something that we are aware of because we take care of animals at individual level, but also we take care of animal collectively herd of yeah cattle you know so we have this way of thinking both way but it's important that now everyone at an individual level think that yes they can make a difference and then also of course we can make a difference together so it's it's very it's something that sometimes can be confusing but everyone has to take actually responsibility for their own act. Exactly. And understand, and I, I get this a lot with my students and just conversations on Friday night. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, well, I'm just one person. So if I change and improve, like not using plastic or eating less meat or whatever it is, that one thing that you feel is really important for planetary one health and you say, well, I'm just one person. Well, if every mm. one person, every 7.8 billion of exactly. us. Exactly. That's a huge number of people. Yes. Right. right. 
one person's uh, actions do matter. Yeah. Absolutely. I strongly believe in that. Yes. Thank you for uh, thank you, Sharon. <laughs> so can you can you tell me actually if something or someone inspire you? Like where, who do you get your your energy or your inspiration from? Wow. So I I would say as you were asking that, two things came to mind. And one is I, I don't want to give one individual, but I do think when I look at my career and the many of mentors, colleagues, and increasingly students or next generation people, I think they all collectively together, that's my inspiration. And I really do think that today's young people, as they're figuring out their careers and their professions, they're seeing what's what's happening at a planetary level and with, with health challenges. And so I feel really inspired when I interact with these people, internships, teaching, whatnot, that there's an energy there that I think is, is really catching on and important. You know, I grew up in the 1970s at the beginning of the environmental movement, and I really, I was one of those little environmentalists mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and it, it felt like it was going to take off. And I think we lost our ways for a few decades, but I really see this next generation and that energy inspires me. And so I, I think that's probably my biggest inspiration right now. That and then just uh, nature itself, right? Ah, so, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's beautiful because you actually inspired a lot of new generation of young people. I don't know if you know, but I can tell you, for example, me as a vet, you actually inspired me and, uh, and still inspire me right now. And that's crazy because all this energy that you actually you're having and you want to pass along your knowledge and, and your message of hope and of and also of, um, I would say, having a critical mind, all of these tools that you're actually passing along to the next generation, actually, these same people that you're inspiring, these are actually your inspiration. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Wow, wonderful. We are actually uh, close to the end of this episode. If you had a last word to say to our audience today, what, what would it be? I think, uh, again, I'll come back to COVID, unfortunately, but in today's world in 2021, with the COVID pandemic not over, with the climate change challenges we're seeing with 118 in Siberia two days ago, uh, 121 in Canada, so climate change realities, I think from a positive note, as the pandemic continues and, and climate change is... Yes. is suddenly on people's agendas is now's the time to use your voice. People are listening. People do understand there's real health planetary stability challenges out there that need solving and answers. And so from a, a really great sort of positive note, this is, this is our opportunity. 
people didn't get excited when I talked about Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome eight <laughs> years ago, which was the last coronavirus. Yes. People are people are listening now. They understand that the concern of zoonoses. They understand climate change. We need to discuss the loss of biodiversity and other non-human species. So now use your voice and amplify it. And I think that really, if there's one positive out of this tragic last couple of years, I would say it's that. People are listening. Use your voice, talk, be part of the solution. And I, I, I think that's a really a great way to move forward right now. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. I love it. So, so much energy and enthusiasm. This is your moment. This is our opportunity. You use your voice. That's beautiful. I love it. Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your time with us today and for sharing this. Bye-bye, Sharon. Thanks, Estelle. I've really enjoyed it. And I look forward to being in real person, real life with you soon. Yes, me too. It has been a long time, so I hope it will be soon again. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wildlife Conservation Insights podcast. You can find more about myself and the show, including our guests, on estellevet.com. If you like it, share it. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Each week, I will select a question or a review from you and will present it to the next podcast. Go to estelvet.com for further information and articles to go deeper into each episode. Bye-bye.